Newmarket is a typical Ontario town with a history no different from its neighbors. Or is it? On episode 6 of Newmarket History, the story many of you have been waiting for. The history of Newmarket's early settlement, beginning all the way back in the year 1801. Learn how the town was discovered, its early settlers, and the beginnings of one of the largest commercial centers in Ontario. Then, Newmarket's indigenous history. Gain a better understanding of the people who lived in the Newmarket area long before any white settlers arrived, and the relationship they developed with the British newcomers. All that and so much more history, now. In a world where living means leaving everything behind. One man discovers a new world, but also discovers himself. He must endure blistering winds and scorching deserts to protect the families of those who have followed him. History will know his name, but whoever said writing history is easy. From the director that brought you, the Canal That Couldn't, and Rebel Quakers, Timothy Rogers stars in Searching for the New Market. Coming to a theater near you this fall. Okay, okay, cut, cut, cut. Ah, whew. Today's, today's podcast opening might have gotten a little carried away. No, there's no Hollywood film called Searching for the New Market based on the early settlement history of New Market coming this fall. Although, it already sounds better than half of the shows currently on Netflix. What is true is that Newmarket's origin story is one of intrigue, filled with deceit, adventure, and a whole lot of interesting people, including Timothy Rogers, one of Newmarket's most important early settlers. And who doesn't love a good origin story? Batman, The Beatles, Connor Lamont, the guy who took over the podcasting worlds. I'm betting there's a documentary about someone's life that you not only love, but gave you a greater appreciation for that person. Today, I will present to you the origin tale of the town of Newmarket. A tale for the whole family. So without further ado, I give you the story of how Newmarket was founded. Lights. Camera. Action. The first white explorer to come near the Newmarket area via the Holland River was a French man named Etienne Brule, along with the guidance of Huron indigenous warriors. Of course, the indigenous long discovered the Newmarket area before European settlers. Something we'll take a look at in the sequel of Searching for a New Market in the second half of this episode. The heavily forested and virgin landscape that is now Newmarket remained untouched for many years, before Timothy Rogers came with some friends from American states like Vermont, New York, and Pennsylvania. 
Rogers had come across the land a few years prior by horseback and realized the potential of the area. Since the Quakers weren't really welcome in America after the British had been booted out the door in the American Revolution, Newmarket offered them a better life. But as the History Hound notes, the group that traveled together with Timothy Rogers was a little unexpected. The funny thing is, 24 families came with Mr. Rogers. 23 families were Quakers and one was a Methodist. My question always would be, why did this Methodist come up with the rest of these people? Because they all came together. Like, did they, were they passing on the street? And, you know, somebody said, hey, we're going to go up north to a place called Newmarket. And the other guy goes, hey, I got nothing happening here. So, yeah, we'll, we'll take my family up too. So you, you had 23 Quaker families and one Methodist family. Around the same time, a man named Joseph Hill was setting up shop on Ferry Lake constructing a grist mill, which can be used to create things like flour. He dammed the Holland River, once a mighty and fast-running river in fact, and established his presence at the foot of present-day Main Street. Hill would be joined by others, who we will get to in a second, but I first must make an important note. In Newmarket's early days at the beginning of the 1800s, there were really two communities. One community consisted of the Quakers and farmers, who settled along Young Street and came mostly from the U.S., and the other community of people, including Joseph Hill, were mostly British but also American, and settled along the present downtown district of Newmarket, building mills and trading posts. You know, so our early settlement is really two separate groups. Because for a long time, they didn't really communicate. The interesting thing is Eagle Street is really the only connection between the peoples. Davis Drive was a path, but it wasn't much. But, quite, uh, but Eagle Street was there, and that's basically how uh, two communities communicate with each other. There was actually also a third community named Garbett Hill that settled along Prospect Street right next door to Main Street. Garbett Hill, which is Prospect Street on the other side of Main Street. And that was a completely different community, separated by the river. The river was was so big that they couldn't get across. And so two communities grew parallel. And then when they could get across, then then uh, there was a fight between Prospect Street and Main Street for Providence. And, of course, Main Street won. Obviously, commercially, Main Street won. But the seeds of war between the two streets were planted and decades later would come to a boil. No, no, there's the Hollywood director in me again. There was no battle, but there was more than one community early on in Newmarket. Life was quite difficult early on for our settlers, especially trying to build a house and grow enough crops before wintertime came. Just reading about it makes me clutch my furry blanket and hot cocoa even tighter. The government even added a few conditions that had to be met when assuming ownership of property, or you would risk being evicted. For example, the settlers along Young Street were responsible for maintaining the part of the street that ran along their property, a clever idea by the government to get the incoming settlers to build the street for them. Cheeky buggers. You also had to be living on the land and clear a few acres of the land before a certain time period. And if you think moving a couch to the other side of the living room is hard, try removing a tree stump from the ground with horses. It depends on who you ask, but Joseph Hill is likely Newmarket's first settler, since he is first documented as running a business here. The nod for most important settler is likely Timothy Rogers, because he brought so many families to the area. 
William Rowe, who we have already met in this podcast series, established the fur trade in Newmarket and stayed in the area much longer than Joseph Hill, which is why you could make the argument he was the most important. But at the end of the day, they all had a big hand in developing Newmarket. There is a reason Joseph Hill would only stay in Newmarket for roughly a decade, despite owning a few buildings and running a mill. He was ambitious, but he met his match in the form of a man named Alicia Beeman. Hill had built a tannery closer to Gorham Street, but did not hold the deed to the land. When Beeman realized this, he seized on the opportunity and got the deed for the property, evicting Hill in the process. Maybe our story does have a villain after all. Shortly after, Hill became on the hook for the debts of his business partner and ultimately lost all of his land. He ended up going back to the United States broke. By the time it was all said and done, Beeman had bought up a lot of the structures Hill had built. So who was this Alicia Beeman? The truth is, he wasn't a villain, but was definitely hungry for power and influence and stopped at nothing to achieve it. By the time of his death in 1821, he would establish himself as the most successful and wealthy businessman of the Newmarket area at the time. Originally from the States, he came to Upper Canada with a vision, which involved operating as many mills, distilleries, hotels, businesses on Young Street as he could. He knew the government wanted to develop Young Street, so he saw an opportunity to establish himself there. He did the same thing in present-day downtown Newmarket, buying up businesses, and growing his empire. But Beeman knew that in order to be successful in the British colony of Canada in the early 1800s, you needed to be well-connected. So he married a woman named Esther Sayer Robinson. She was the widow of Christopher Robinson, a once powerful man and member of the family compact, the ruling group at the time. Basically, all this meant that suddenly Alicia Beeman was connected to the Robinson family, which meant he was connected to some of the most powerful people in the colony. We know that he was well-connected, even before he married into the family. We know that there's lots of records of him petitioning uh, to get licenses and land grants, things like this. So he certainly was a, a go-getter. There's certainly no doubt about that. Didn't help, or didn't hurt, I should say, that, that he married into the family. Beeman gradually added more and more businesses and government positions to his resume, becoming more and more influential. Because of his stronghold on the community, Newmarket was once known as Beeman's Corners. Together with the three children he inherited, there was no stopping them. His, he married in, Beeman married into the Robinson family, and, uh, and all three Robinsons were probably, at one time, the three most important people in all of uh, Upper Canada, all living here in Newmarket. They were all family compact. They essentially ran everything. Peter Robinson, the eldest son, acquired a ton of property, was a war hero, and is credited as founding Holland Landing and Peterborough. So the next time you're in Peterborough, you can brag that a Newmarket boy founded the town. The second son, John Beverly, was chief justice of the province for over 30 years, and the third son, William, also had many influential positions. Additionally, the oldest building in Newmarket today was once referred to as the Beeman Robinson House. It is located on Water Street opposite to the church. The house entertained many travelers who stopped in Newmarket on their way to locations all over the province. 
In all of the years Newmarket has existed, there has always been one constant. Fairy Lake, a.k.a. the Pond. The Pond was very advantageous for business life, like mills and tanneries, and even had a bridge going across it for people and cattle to walk on at one point. It also became popular for social activities like boating. And the reason boating could be relaxing then is because there were no big motorboats doing donuts in the water terrorizing anyone that came in its path. I'm sure it was more like the Swan's Ride at Canada's Wonderland. Peaceful for the first 30 seconds, and then agonizingly long and terrible. Maybe Newmarket's attraction to Fairy Lake has to do with the idea that humans are naturally attracted to water. Until, in the case of Fairy Lake, it became so polluted in the mid-1900s it drove people away. But it has been cleaned up a bit since then, and now has once again become a common walking and biking area. Newmarket has seen a lot over the years on its journey to the large urban center it is now. But I wonder what the early settlers would think of Newmarket if they saw it today. Would they be impressed? Or feel like it has lost some of its identity? We'll never know for sure, but oh, it makes me wonder. Well, I don't, again, I don't think you could, there's a definitive answer to this. I think that there, there were people, obviously, who were settlers here, who were entrepreneurs, who would be absolutely thrilled that we have the businesses that we have, that we have the wealth that we have, that Newmarket is the center of, of York region. And I think there's uh, probably just as many who were farmers here who would think, how are you going to feed yourself? You know, this is a farming community. What's next for Newmarket is unpredictable. Like the early settlers, we will encounter new challenges and competitors. But we'll have our fair share of talented and successful people to help guide us through the process. Unfortunately, this story has no definite ending, so it's a bit of a cliffhanger. But I look forward to writing the next chapters with you. Main Street Newmarket today is approximately where an ancient indigenous trail once ran. It was an important path for traveling between Lake Ontario and Lake Huron. If one wanted to take the route from Lake Ontario, they most often traveled along the Rouge or Humber River before portaging on their way to the Holland River. But taking these two rivers required traveling along the Main Street Newmarket Trail at one point. It ran parallel with Main Street, moving through the Market Square before jogging around the Main Street North Cemetery and then northeast from there up to Lake Simcoe. It would be fair to say that Timothy Rogers likely hiked along this ancient trail when checking out the area as a possible place to set up his Quaker community. Newmarket is historically a Huron-Wendat territory. It is actually right in the middle of what was known as Huronia. The Huron-Wendat nation partnered with the French in the fur trade back in the 1600s and definitely prospered as a result of it. The fur trade is one of the reasons why the relationship between the Huron and the Iroquois, then referred to as the League of Five Nations, grew increasingly more tense. The Iroquois were a rival to the Huron nation and inhabited in the area south of Lake Ontario in Erie. In 1642, the Iroquois actually used the Newmarket Main Street Trail on their way to attacking the Huron and earned a decisive victory. The Huron-Wendat sought refuge closer to Quebec, and since then the Newmarket area has been home to a number of different indigenous groups, B 
before the European settlers arrived. One such European settler was a Brit named Dr. John Dawson. He had a very unique relationship with the indigenous, especially for the time. Maybe it is because he was a unique man, but together, Dawson and the indigenous peoples of the area would have some fascinating experiences together. Their story is very interesting, but also offers a glimpse into the indigenous history of the town of Newmarket. By the time Dr. Dawson arrived in British North America in the 1830s, the area was no longer controlled by the indigenous, and the ancient indigenous North-South Trail was replaced with Young Street. I assume the highway was a faster route, but as we have already seen in earlier episodes, roads in the early 1800s didn't always make life easier. Like many Europeans, Dawson came to Newmarket hoping for a brighter future, except he came with a whack load of money to make the transition a little more comfortable, unlike most new settlers. In fact, he brought literally everything he owned to the area, everything and the kitchen sink. He eventually arrived in York County and decided he would bring some of his British swag to Newmarket, in the form of a house. Because why not? I mean, what nation hasn't historically benefited from a little Britain in their lives? The house he built was located slightly north of Upper Canada Mall, and became known as Dawson Manor. Not Dawson Home, Dawson Manor. It just sounds fancy. This house was supposedly extremely nice, built with bricks and in the typical Georgian style. It would have been like something right out of Downton Abbey, but with a little less drama. The entire property once included 400 acres and was so well known it actually caught the attention of a young writer for the Toronto Star as a story idea named Ernest Hemingway. Now that name either sends chills down your back, reminding you of your high school English class days, or reminds you that for the 100th time, eventually, you will read A Farewell to Arms. From what I understand, this house looked like it was in the middle of, of, of England. You know, he brought everything, everything he owned. Dishes, linens, pictures, everything. The, the story always is the, you know, that there was a whole train of, of oxen carts carrying all this stuff. All his furniture came from there. I guess he didn't think we had anything here because he brought everything. In all fairness, by all accounts, Dr. Dawson was actually a decent person. It wasn't out of the ordinary for wealthy Brits to come over and build fancy houses and assume important roles in society. But Dawson actually used his knowledge and wealth to help people in the area medically and even had his own little prescription dispensary in his house. He even performed a few weddings when the local preachers were unavailable. His great estate and many talents earned him the nickname Squire Dawson, which I am sure didn't go to his head at all. Like the Quakers of the area, Dawson had a great relationship with the indigenous. He even learned some of their languages. If they needed medical assistance, he was happy to provide it. He would even travel to their villages if required. This also gave him an opportunity to learn more about the indigenous, a group of people he took an interest in. What happened was he comes over here, interesting man anyway, because he brings everything he owns from Britain over here. So he brought everything, and he sets up on, on Young Street. Doctor, really interested in, in why uh, the Native peoples don't get the diseases that we get. So 
he goes uh, and visits them and discovers that they have native remedies for a lot of this stuff. So he says, this is this is the deal. You know, I will support you. So in other words, I, uh, you know, I don't think it was gifts. I think he actually did, uh, you know, support them with money and with housing and stuff like that. Uh, and in return, they taught him this. Dawson actually patented drugs in the name of the indigenous to use for white settlers in Newmarket and the colony. So clearly, his game wasn't to take advantage of them, something other people of the era can't say. Long term, providing aid to the indigenous benefited Dawson greatly during the 1837 rebellion. You see, Dawson was no rebel. He was pro-government all the way. But you didn't want to be a government supporter during the rebellion since Newmarket started the whole thing and was bursting with those wretched rebels. So the indigenous, specifically the Ojibwe, made sure no harm would come to their friend. The rebellion of 1837, they all came to Newmarket. All of the indigenous came and lived on his property to protect him because he was, was pro-government. And of course, this was, as we talked about before, wasn't exactly a good place to be if you were pro-family compact. This story is actually backed by the indigenous, which makes it all the more cooler. Dawson died in 1851, and today, you can actually find his stone in the Pioneer Burying Ground located on Eagle Street. I highly recommend a visit. You will find a few names of people mentioned in this podcast, and discover new names you may want to research on your own. The doctor was one of many people that learned quickly that the key to his survival and getting a better lay of the land was through the indigenous. The reality is that they knew the land best since they had already been established here for thousands of years. My relatives came here in 1801. And, uh, you know, I have some of the diaries from these people uh, who talk about the fact that they, they wouldn't have survived had it not been for the indigenous people explaining to them stuff like when to put your crops in. They've got a very unusual climate here, if you may not have noticed. Uh, so when to put your crops in, what to do if you get sick, um, the best place to cross the river, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff that you would need to, to know. In Canada, we forget how many early settlers came from Europe and died almost immediately because of the harsh climate. We've all lived through Canadian winters, and they can be incredibly rough. I am sure early settlers would have loved to have had scraping the car off as their biggest problem during those cold months too. Britain was a very different world compared to Canada, and many unprepared souls paid the ultimate price. The indigenous were crucial to the survival of all European settlers, even for things as simple as what to eat. In the first Thanksgiving, many of the white people didn't know a lot of the things the indigenous brought was even edible. As I continue my dive into indigenous history, I hope to learn more of the peoples that first settled on this land. And I'm not alone. This is why I have such a, a respect and interest in their history, is that it stretches back 2,000 years. I mean, it's just incredible, you know, that these people came over a land uh, bridge from, uh, from Siberia. Similarly to the black history of Newmarket and surrounding areas, our knowledge of the indigenous history is not as strong. Perhaps we don't want to hear it, because it isn't always pretty. It is well documented that the British government did not return the favor as well as they should have for the advice they received on how to settle the new frontier. Or maybe we just don't know it because we focus more on early settlers like John Graves Simcoe than the indigenous. I always think 
umbrage with the idea that the Simcoe came here and discovered the area. He basically came and said, excuse me, could you people move north? Because uh, my people probably aren't going to like you. What is really shocking is that when Timothy Rogers came to the Newmarket area, he bought land that technically hadn't been ceded to the Brits in treaties. Not until 1923 was the Newmarket land formerly part of an agreement. So somehow, the Brits were allowing the purchase of land in some areas that didn't belong to them. And once the settlers have moved in and established themselves, there was no chance of getting that land back. Land disputes and tensions between Indigenous people and the Canadian government still exist today. And no matter where you stand on the issue, it certainly appears that in the coming years, it may be more difficult for the governments to continue to kick the issue down the road. More and more Indigenous people are fighting for their rights, and as the history hounds so eloquently put, you can't run away from your history forever. In 2021, that seems more true than ever. Thank you for listening to today's episode of New Market History. I would like to send a heartfelt thank you to the History Hound for offering me his time and knowledge during the creation of this project. To learn more about the town's history, check out the New Market Public Library's history section, or read the History Hound's weekly articles in New Market Today. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time on New Market History.